Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. Good to see you, church. If we haven't met before, my name is Blake. I'm the young adult minister here, and it's such a blessing to get to speak with you. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going through the passage that our life groups have been looking at. And if you haven't found a life group, we would love to connect you with a life group. You can just reach out to a staff member. If you're online watching the stream, you could just message our account, and we'll try to connect you with the group. Uh, So we're in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And this passage was referred to by uh, the English pastor and theologian John Stott as the Christian's ambition. The Christian's ambition. And you know, that kind of reminded me of a story uh, several years back. I had a student that had graduated from our college ministry, and he wanted to meet up with me. He'd been trying out the job field and trying to figure out what he wanted to do and who he wanted to be. And uh, he met up with me. We went and got some Chipotle. And we were sitting there and talking, and he's saying, hey, you know, I just can't figure out where God would want me, what he wants me to do, what I should be about. And so I start telling him about, hey, you should take up your cross. You should die to yourself. You should live a sacrificial life, resting in the work of Jesus. And I kind of give him this little mini sermon. And instead of responding to me like a good, just normal Christian of being like, amen, brother, that's absolutely right. I really liked it because he was just honest with me. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know, but honestly, man, like I have ambition. Like I have drive. I want to be somebody. I want to be successful. Is it wrong for me to want to do something significant? Like, is it wrong for me to have that drive in my life? And honestly, I didn't have a great answer for him at the time because I could kind of see what he was saying, but also I feel this tension, this pull. And if you look at our church, like if you look within the church at large, there is these two extremes when it comes to ambition. On one hand, you have the extreme that someone says, hey, uh, any kind of drive, any kind of like lofty dreams or goals, like that doesn't align with the meek life of a disciple. Like that just doesn't work. That's an extreme. The other extreme would be like, no, I'm going to make my mark in the kingdom of God and people in heaven are going to know my name, right? And so what does it mean? Like, what does it mean to live with what the Bible would say, uh, a kind of ambition that isn't selfish, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does it mean to live with a Christian ambition? And I think because we have the image of God um, upon us, like we, we naturally want to create, we want to expand, we want to build. But what does it mean to do it like a follower of Jesus? Um, so the title of this talk is Holy Ambition. I'm not going to discuss whether or not we should have ambition. I think we have ambition. It's just a matter of what are we using it for and how are we directing it? And so in this teaching that Jesus offers, it's about money, which was the ambition and goal of a lot of people during this time. Their drive was to acquire more money and materials, and he's going to address this and juxtapose it against the kingdom of God. And I just want to say that was a huge motivation during that time, but it's also a huge motivation for a lot of people today. Uh, I'll talk about more than just money, but don't don't just say, oh, that's just metaphor. Treasure can mean so many other things. It might be money for you. That might be what you need to look at. Uh, so what is your motivation? What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? And I think that's the, the key that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like, some of you are like, I've been in my job for like 40 years. This isn't going to apply. I'm talking about what gets you up in the morning. Why do you do what you do at the workplace? Why do you do what you do in your home? Why do you do what you do? What's the ambition? What's the drive behind it? All right. I hope you're excited. I'm excited. Uh, so let's dig into it. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just right at the beginning, this is just really good practical advice from Jesus. I mean, during the time of Jesus, like, if you had treasure, something that you wanted to store up, it's not like you just opened up a savings account or a 401k or an IRA. You didn't have that. You literally would have to store it somewhere. And if you stored it in your house, there was this common thing that would happen where thieves could literally burrow through the side of your house and take your treasure. And if you didn't want to do that, then you might put it in a cave. And if you put it in a cave, then vermins or moths would come, have their way with it, and it would be destroyed. So at the start, Jesus is just saying, hey, this is just... It's a waste of time, right? Like, don't store up things on earth because eventually they will pass away. And the bad news with that is wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? But here's the thing. We know that. We hear that. We agree with that. We might even say we believe that. But if we look at our lives, a lot of times it doesn't look like we live like that. We can say all day long, like, hey, I know these things are just going to pass away, that one day it'll all be gone, and the only thing that will remain is the kingdom of heaven, but a lot of times, our, our lives, it just doesn't look like that. Henry Nouwen, uh, a thinker, just said that, you know, this is called the illusion of immortality. And it's the belief that humans live with that if we try really hard, we can eternalize things and people and relationships around us. If we just work really hard, we can eternalize it. And, and what we have is all these frustrations in our life whenever we realize that it's decaying and withering. And listen to what he says. It's a long quote, but I think it's helpful. He says this, small, seemingly innocent events keep telling us how easily we eternalize ourselves and our world. It takes only a hostile word to make us feel sad and lonely. It takes only a rejecting gesture to plunge us into self-complaint. It takes only a substantial failure in our work to lead us into a self-destructive depression. We keep giving eternal value to things we own, the people we know, the plans we have, and the successes we collect. What is it that you're trying to eternalize? That's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, what is, what is the treasure? And the first question I have for us, trying to figure out what our ambition is, is what are you investing in? So what's the thing that you're investing in, the thing that you're storing up, the thing that you're trying to protect and put up walls around so no one can mess with it? What is that? Because whatever that is, that's where your heart is. And honestly, if you want to figure out a good way to do this, and I know this hits close to home for a lot of us, a good way to do it is you could just open up your bank statement and see where your money's going and just say, okay, what am I literally investing in? Is it in a certain status, a certain image, a life of comfort? What am I pouring all my resources towards? And Jesus isn't saying that it's bad to be wise with money. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that there's a danger that if you're not careful, you can make these things and these materials and this wealth your treasure. And that's not, the, that's not the goal of a disciple. And so just look, take inventory of your life, not just your money, but your time and your relationships, and look around your life and say, what am I pouring all of my energy and my effort into? And there is where your heart is. So what are you investing in? What are you protecting? First question. All right, we're going to keep moving. We're going to get to good news at the end, I promise. All right, there's going to be some good, uplifting news. Right now it's going to feel like I'm just pummeling you, but let's go. Verse 22. Jesus says this, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he talking about? (laughs) We don't talk like this, but he has this interesting metaphor where he's saying, you know, the eye is the lamp of the body. And on some surface, we get what he's talking about, right? Like, so if your eye is healthy, then you can take light in, and then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, uh, then you can't take light in, so it's only darkness within you. But if you look closer at it, the Greek is really interesting, because the way the translation shows that it's the healthy eye um, versus the unhealthy eye. But really, the Greek says the single eye. That's what it says for healthy. What does that mean? It says the eye that is single, um, the eye that has single fixed determination and is focused on a point will have a body full of light. Another way that you could translate this is generous, and we'll get to why that is later, but it's either the single generous eye is the body that's full of light, but the eye that is not unhealthy, but it translated as evil. The eye that is evil is full of darkness. And during this time, the eye that was evil was an eye that was greedy, envious, and stingy. The best way I can explain the evil eye is, uh, I know this is kind of a childish metaphor, but I looked it up. The game was made in 1967, so a lot of us know it. There's a game I played called Hungry, Hungry Hippos as a child. And Hungry, Hungry Hippos, if you don't know, let me break it down for you. It's complicated. There's uh, four hippos. And then in the middle, you drop like all these little white balls, and then everyone has a lever, and you're trying to get as many of the balls as you can with your hippo. And so everyone's just like crazy, like pushing it down, trying to get as many of these white balls as they can. That's what the evil eye looks like. It's like they see the world, and they see limited resource everywhere they look, and they're just trying to pull everything in, just trying to consume and get everything to themselves. It's kind of like, it reminded me of uh, that quote from John D. Rockefeller, whenever he's one of the richest men of all time. And whenever he was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough money? And he said, just a little bit more. That's the way that an evil eye looks. It looks at the world as if I just need to amass and accumulate more and more and more. It might be money, it might be materialism, it might be status, it might be respect. I just need a little bit more. I just gotta bring a little bit more in. You know, and this has gotten, I'm gonna pause there for a sec. One of the things I was pointing out earlier is that the single eye could be the generous eye. And the reason that the single eye is a generous eye is because the single eye is fixed upon Jesus and the kingdom. It's like that story that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a pearl that you sell everything to purchase, the treasure that you buy the field to to have. And you have that one thing, the kingdom of God, and that's all you wanted. So anything else, you're pretty open-handed with. Like, if I have Jesus in the kingdom of God, and that's my single fixed determination, that's all I want in life, that's my drive, that's my ambition, then anything else that I receive from God, I can be open-handed with, and I can be generous, because that is not my drive or my ambition. Amen. The one with the evil eye might say, no, I need to hold on to this, I need to accumulate, I need to store this up, but that is not the drive of a citizen of, kingdom, of the kingdom. We are constantly looking towards Jesus and what he would have. Now, I think that this has gotten really hard for us because Jesus is calling for a vision that is fixed upon him and it isn't divided, doesn't have mixed loyalties. But right now in our culture, and I think particularly for the younger generation, but I think this is now flattened where it's happening to a lot of people, but we are taking in so much content, like through social media, through the internet, through watching television, we're taking in so much content of what the good life looks like that it's just like the evil eye. We keep going after different images of the good life, chasing after it, and and we keep leaving empty-handed and dissatisfied. 
There's a story, of, there's a story that Mark Sayers tells in his book, The Trouble with Paris, and he talks about how he was in this downtown, like, hip party in this apartment in Melbourne, Australia. And he's talking to this young girl there, and she's talking about how dissatisfied and frustrated she is with her life. And she says, you know, my plan is I'm going to go to Paris. And I think when I get to Paris, things are going to be a lot better. Six months pass by, and she emails him back and says, hey, I just want you to know I made it to Paris. It's not what I thought it was, so I'm going to Ireland. I think it's going to be better there. And we now have an entire world that this is how we live and we operate. We chase after every little thing, and then we find out that it's withering, it's decaying, it's dissatisfying, so we leave it and we run to something else, and we just go from one place to the other completely dissatisfied. So what Jesus is saying is you have to have that single, fixed determination upon his kingdom, and that's what a healthy eye looks like. That's what a healthy vision looks like. So the second question is, so first one, what are you investing in? Second one, what are you looking for? What are you looking at? What is your vision of the good life? What is the thing that you are chasing after? Because whatever that is, that will dictate what your ambition is. You go to whatever you look at. Uh, My wife, she often gets on to me because whenever I drive, I have this awful habit of whenever I'm talking to her, I just start to veer in her direction. You know, and she'll always say, keep your eyes on the road. And I have to like swing my arms back and look at the road because whatever I look at is what I drive towards. And this is why it's really important to take inventory of your life and to see where you're investing and what you're looking at is because whatever you spend your time dreaming of and thinking of, you go that direction. So you can say all day long, I love Jesus and I love the kingdom, but if you just dream of wealth and success and all these things that's detached from the kingdom of God, you will go in that direction. But you have to focus single-minded, fixed determination upon the kingdom, whatever he would have for you. All right, let's bring it home. Verse 24, it's kind of all building up to this moment where Jesus just lays it down. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is my last question, and I've kind of been implying this and all the previous questions, but is it the kingdom of God? Was the answer to the first two questions the kingdom of God? Because what Jesus would say is that you can't serve more than one master. If it's not the kingdom of God, if you answer something else, what he's saying is you're serving that. You can't serve two masters. You will either despise one and be devoted to the other, or you'll hate one and love the other. So so who's the one that you're loving? Is it Jesus and the kingdom, or is it something else entirely. You know, what I've found through working with college students for several years and trying to help them discern what their purpose and their, you know, their drive and aim in life, one thing I've realized is that Jesus will either be uh, in the way of your purpose, you know, he'll feel like an obstacle and like something you have to get around to do the thing you want to do, or he will be the one revealing your purpose and, and empowering you in your purpose. So he either, either will be in the way or he'll be the way. That's what it comes down to. Is he the way? Is he the thing that just you fix your mind on it? It's what you're treasuring? Or is it something else? And you know who would love to convince you that you can have more than one master? The enemy. The devil. He would love to. C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote this fictional book called The Screwtape Letters. And in this book, he basically writes this fictional account um, about an older demon talking to a younger demon and they're trying to get a Christian to stumble. 
And so anytime you read uh, the enemy, think God. Okay, so listen to this quote. This is what the older demon is saying to the younger demon. He says, we know that we have introduced the change of direction in his course, which is already carrying him out of his orbit around the enemy. So, God. But he must be made to imagine that all the choices which have affected this change of course are trivial and revocable. He must not be allowed to suspect that he is now, however, slowly veering right away from the sun on a line which will carry him into the cold and dark of utmost space. It's heavy. And, you know, I'm not trying to terrify you. I promise I'm not. But what I've seen in my life and in others' lives is that sometimes this small sin that we think is so small and we just say, that's acceptable. I can love Jesus and I can accept this thing that I know doesn't line up with the kingdom of God. That has deeper roots in your life than you can fathom. The thing that is obvious and you know, I shouldn't be pursuing this, but I'm gonna try and pursue, you, you need to repent of that. You need to give that up. What is your ambition and drive in life? Is it the king and his kingdom or is it something else? So just kind of going through everything we said, what's the thing that back here you're trying to store up and you're trying to protect, you're trying to build walls around and the thing that you're reaching out for? Because if it's not Jesus, then that's a problem. It's not the master. One of them will master you. Which one will it be? All right, hit me with the good news, Blake. <laughs> okay, so the good news about all of this is that behind all of this, Jesus is inviting us to have a treasure that will not wither, it will not perish, it will not decay. And he's saying, store up things in heaven. That's the invitation, to invest in heaven in the kingdom of God. That's the invitation right now. To set your mind on Jesus. Don't waste your time throughout life chasing a thousand things. Just focus on Jesus. That's the invitation. You know, uh, this is my last story, and then I'll wrap up, but I was watching this interview recently with John Lennox, and John Lennox is a 76-year-old professor, professor of mathematics at uh, Oxford. So he's a professor of mathematics at Oxford, and he's just brilliant. I was watching this lecture. I wasn't watching it for uh, the math because I'm awful at math. When I was at Baylor, I took ideas of mathematics. So it's like, we aren't going to do math, but if we did, we might do this. So I'm not, I'm not a mathematician at all. So anyways... So watching this, and he was talking about apologetics. He's really good at defending his faith. And I was watching this thing, and uh, sometimes I get skeptical when I watch people that are like, they're professional at defending their faith. Because it's like, do you actually, do you actually love Jesus, or is this just a stepping stone for you? Like, is this just for you to prove Jesus? Is he just like an argument to win? And so I'm always kind of skeptical. And at the end, someone asked him a question and said something along the lines of, you know, some like heady, hard question. And then they followed up with one that was just pure devotion. They said, hey, what do you think you'll say whenever you enter heaven? What do you think you'll say whenever uh, you enter eternity? And what he said was so profound that I, I wrote it down. He just said this on the fly. Uh, but I want y'all to hear this. And imagine with an English accent, and it'll be a lot better. <laughs> so he said this, what will I say when eternity dawns? I've often thought of that question, and I think I shall be pretty speechless to start with. And I tell you what I might think. I've often thought this with my wife and I, and we hope that we might go together. And when eternity breaks upon us, I might just say this. You know, dear, if I had known it was going to be like this, I would have invested far more in it. Isn't that so good? 
<laughs> that is the reality for us. There will be a day that eternity breaks, eternity dawns, it breaks upon you, and you will say, man, if I had known, if I had known it was like this, I would have invested far more in it. My life would have looked totally different. I would have treasured different things. I would have looked after different things. I would have chased after the kingdom of God and everything that was in it. I would have invested far more in it. Here's the good news. To begin investing in the kingdom of God, you don't have to wait until eternity breaks upon you, until you see heaven. You can start today. You, you can start looking at your life, taking inventory of where you're shifting your resources and your energy and your time, and you say, God, I want to be just rooted upon you and your purposes. I want you to be my treasure. I want to set my sight on you. That's why it's so important to take in scripture, to let him be our vision of what success is. Success is faithfulness. That's what it is. You just set your vision on him. So there's two different responses that you could have today. One, uh, this is a very typical Christian response, but for some reason we shy away from it, but you might need to repent. Um, You might just, you know, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You might be realizing right now, I've been valuing and chasing the wrong things, You might need to just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I've been chasing this lie, chasing this thing that wasn't of you, and I want to go after you. Would you show me the way? And the others of you, you're sitting here and you're thinking, hey, I've I've never even treasured Jesus before. I don't even know Jesus. But what you're saying is, "I I want that. Like, I want the kingdom of God to be my treasure and my value and my love uh, and you want to follow Jesus today, if, you, if that's you, please reach out to a staff member or someone in this room, or if you're online, you could just literally message the Facebook account and, and we'll have someone to reach out to you. Let's live a life that is invested and focused upon the kingdom of God. Let him be our treasure. Let him be our ambition. Would y'all pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much Uh, just for the blessing and joy it is to look at your word. And God, there is no getting around it. You do challenge us. You do call us higher. You call us into your presence. God, help us to not shy away. Just to trust that you've done all the work and you're just inviting us into this kingdom that you've established. God, I pray that for many of us as we look at our hearts and and your spirit right now is bringing up things that uh, we have kind of out of whack in our lives, things that we valued greater than you, um, God, would you just convict us of that? Convict us of that, not because not we want to feel bad or anything, God, but because we want you. We want you and your kingdom. God, we invite you right now in this time to respond to us, God, to push upon us, to change us. We love you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen.